be to be or not to be to be or not to be that is the question or not Hello, friends, and welcome to a very special Hamlet to Hamilton. I am your host, Emily C.A. Snyder, and we have here our friend of the pod, Monica Cross. Hello, (laughs) everyone. Yay! Who is the playwright and uh, patron behind the little mini-series that we're in right now, about how line endings can help define your character. And Monica gave us such fantastic questions, uh, and we've been wanting to get people on anyway. So we'll be hearing more friends of the pod in the future. Um, And so we have here Monica to talk more about her thoughts on line endings, line breaks, and how it affects the development of character. Now, Monica is an accomplished playwright and an accomplished verse playwright as well. And uh, I'm going to ask, Monica, would you mind bragging about yourself? I mean, give us your CV. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. So um, I, to start way back, did my bachelor's uh, in English at uh, New College of Florida, which is a small public liberal arts college. And then I went to what was then Mary Baldwin College. Now it's Mary Baldwin University in Stanton, Mm. Virginia, and did an MLET and an MFA in Shakespeare and performance there. Um, That was where I took my first playwriting class. And Mm. about five, six years ago now, I started uh, writing plays while I was still teaching. Um, I was teaching at New College. and Mm -hmm. um, You were teaching what? um, I was their technical director and their production manager. And I was teaching technical theater courses um, as well as directing Shakespeare sort of in my spare time for them. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Like you do when you're an educator. Yep. Mm -hmm. It it was, uh, New College was in the unique position of being so focused on the liberal arts that Mm. they had not developed a theater program yet. So I was there as an alum going back working through sort of building the framework. So Mm. I was there for five years doing that. And then right before the pandemic hit, so very (laughs) fortuitously, I decided to leave that. And Mm. um, so that's when I really started, you know, we were all shut in for a very long time, (laughs) uh, mysteriously. And, um, and that while I was uh, unable to really do any other work, I I really Mm. focused on playwriting Oh, okay. Now, what was um, what were some of your early plays like? Um, still very Shakespeare inspired. Um, really, my, my first produced work was um, Cyrano on the Moon, which is yes. a one act, which I self produced, um, and it, it has a very lyrical style, but it is in prose. Mm-hmm. Um, my first full length is uh, Wonder of Our Stage, which is. Um, it has little chunks of verse throughout, but it is um, <laughs> mostly in, in prose. Um, mm. Usually play within a play sort of things. Uh, but it's about yes. Shakespeare, but it's an alternate biography in which Ooh. Shakespeare is actually an automaton created by the alchemist <laughs> John Dee as a suitor for Queen Elizabeth. And when that doesn't work out, he you know, becomes William Shakespeare. What's the name of that one again? <laughs> Wonder of Our Stage. 
I feel like we have many listeners as we're starting to have more academics here who will be very intrigued by that. And I think now is a good time to say that so many of your plays are on newplayexchange.org. So you can run right after this episode, friends, and read Cyrano on the Moon and Wonder of Our Stage. Wonder of Our Stage. So it's... Um, yes. It's from the Ben Johnson poem in right. the first folio. He says, uh, the soul of the age, uh, the, the applause, the wonder of our mm-hmm. stage. Yes, um, yes, I think yes. I'm missing some of the words, but that's the rhyme. The... <laughs> <laughs> da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, so so lyricism and sort of Shakespeare adjacent have, have been really themes in your work. So when did you... Uh, sort of go whole hog for verse, as it were. Um, what what was the the piece that made you go? That this just all has to be in verse. Well, I um, when I was at Mary Baldwin, a mm. big portion of our training is in uh, interpreting verse. Mm. Um, and so when I took that first playwriting class, I did write one play that no longer exists that was entirely an I am the pentameter. I, I have um, to ask, it no longer exists? Like it's not even in an I old may have somewhere. a PDF in my email somewhere, but the problem is that I I don't really have the email that I still used when I was in co- oh, that no. program. And in like 2015, my hard drive failed and I lost like oh. everything I was working on at the time. So everything that oh. I have kind of is from 2015 onward. It was a nice, like it was, it was an unfortunate event, but it was one of those mm-hmm. um, fortuitous things that kind of was like, oh, well now I need to kind of rebuild everything. And that mm-hmm. really transitioned into the work that I'm doing now. But so, oh, so that okay. was the early pinnings of it was like, yeah. I've, I've done all of this work with Shakespeare. How can I replicate it? Yes. Um, and then, um, right around the time that your podcast started, like same week (laughs) I had decided like, I want to get back to this. Um, Oh, wow. And I, I wrote something that I I tried in verse. It didn't work. It it Mm -hmm. shouldn't have been in verse. It was in prose. It worked Mm -hmm. out beautifully once I wrote it the second time. Mm -hmm. Um, and since then, um, I've been working on shorter pieces, longer pieces, mm-hmm. um, and playing with what does structured verse look like? What does mm-hmm. um, free verse look like? Mm-hmm. And how do I play with things that are maybe more like Shakespeare? And how do I play with things that are really mm-hmm. not at all like Shakespeare? Yeah, yeah. We've been fortunate enough um, at the Muse program at Turn to Flash, we've got to see some of your experiments and your work. And of course, you took part in the masterclass and did some really interesting things um, with that. That was in October 21 when we were sort of really playing with what can you do if the formatting is also visual. Uh, right. You did some ex- interesting experiments there. Um, and I want to call out, I think, what what, of, what is one of quickly becoming one of my favorite 10 minute, I mean, it's 10 pages in verse, which never means 10 minute, but <laughs> short two person verse plays of yours, which is Changeling, mm. um, which I honestly think is just, just one of my favorite short plays in Thank verse of all time. I'm really serious about that. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's actually being produced um, again. I wrote it just about a year ago. It has mm. had a staged reading workshop um, mm-hmm. and then a student production 
at, again, my alma mater, New College, and Mm -hmm. now it's being produced at uh, University of Evansville in Indiana. Um, And I just got to talk to those students about that production, and that was lovely talking to them (sighs) about what they're finding in the piece Mm -hmm. and sort of some of my inspirations for it. Yeah. So... No, it's so great. It's so poetical. Uh, it's so timely and timeless. Um, I don't get want to give anything away, but but run to New Play Exchange and look up that play among others. Um, you also you you have quite a few things to brag about. Uh, you something just closed. Remind me what it was. So I um, relocated this past year to the like northwestern part of uh wisconsin Mm. and i immediately was like right in time for winter (laughs) (laughs) who's doing no we had all of summer it was lovely um but i immediately uh was like who is doing theater up here Mm. how can i get involved Mm -hmm. um and so i pitched a two-person play by uh playwright john minigan who is also on the new play exchange called breaking the shakespeare code which Mm. is about a student actor who goes into the acting instructor Mm -hmm. she says I'm going to audition for the professional Shakespeare company and I want your help and he's like okay (laughs) so you have five days for me to teach you how to master Shakespeare really Um, (laughs) and through that um they she has this like amazing breakthrough um and Mm. It spurs the beginning of this like 16 year working relationship where they just kind of keep coming back. So it's three scenes Mm. um, across their career. And um, it, it was really interesting because reading it, I was like, Oh, this reminds me of the work that I've seen um, from Shakespeare and co. Mm. Uh, in Massachusetts. And Mm -hmm. in talking to John Minigan, he was like, ah, I studied with them. (laughs) It's a very small Shakespearean (laughs) world. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so you get to see, um, you know, really was inspired. He said by watching actors have those breakthroughs in rehearsal and not being able to share that with the audience. So he creates, scenes where they have those breakthrough moments Mm -hmm. and then also it is they're using the monologues as code for their relationship because they can't talk about how they feel about each other through most of the piece yeah Um, so that is the the Shakespeare code that they are breaking is is this language that they've developed to discuss with each other yes yeah oh my gosh so that's breaking the Shakespeare code by giving the name of the author again John Minigan. John Minigan. And I'm presuming that's Shakespeare's verse, but otherwise in uh, prosaic colloquial paragraph form with the interstitials. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is very much so, um, you know, grounded in realism. Mm -hmm. And then the monologues are pulled directly from Shakespeare. And you get to see Mm -hmm. some of them like two or three times as the character discovers new things about them. Um, so that first scene in particular, like builds, um, which both makes it a challenge for the actor who has to perform like, okay, here is Portia's monologue as a first year college student who doesn't know what they're doing. And here's a, um, you know, Portia's monologue again with all of this This new information. 
And, I mean, I know it sounds odd, but it reminds me of the same acting challenge in some ways that anyone playing uh, Liza Doolittle has. Um, right. <laughs> you have to remember what you don't know. Uh, right, yeah. While already mastering uh, <laughs> where they get to. <laughs> so. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. So your question, which has launched this mini series, and I'm very excited and very grateful for it, um, is how can line break sort of tell us something about character? And as we mentioned last time, although season three is about soliloquy, when we're looking at a question like this, um, while we may be able to see it in a more compact way in any sort of speech or soliloquy, uh, any speech of length, <laughs> essentially, um, this is something we could absolutely track over the course of a scene, over the course of an entire character arc, uh, things of that ilk. And uh, it's it's interesting because at the same time, and I'll be bringing this up more, but I'm reading Stephen Guy Bray's new book. Hold on, I do have to look it up. Sorry, Colin, give me one second. <laughs> I took a photo of it. Cut this out. Cut this out, Colin. Keep it in. Up to you. All right. <laughs> Um, there's a new book that just came out called Line Endings in Renaissance Poetry by Stephen Guy Bray, who is a professor, a noted poet, and academic. And it was really interesting because I happened to go to the book launch and asked, okay, so since one of your chapters is on enjambment, did and it's on Renaissance poetry, uh, do you care essentially about the sonic elements of performing enjambment? And his response was, no, I only care about it on the page. Um, besides which, kind of paraphrasy quote here, uh, you never hear enjambments when they're spoken. And <laughs> I made, I made, thank you, I made a very big face because this was on Zoom, bless. And he said, well, okay, I mean, if you take a breath after each one, but like you shouldn't have to. And I made another face, but it all just, it, it went past because, and now reading his book, I'm understanding, though, he's absolutely coming to this as a page poet, um, which I think is, in fact, a very strong argument that if you're writing page poetry, it does different things than if you're writing stage poetry. But as we know, um, we as stage poets, for lack of a better term, stage versifiers, uh, are writing to speak to the actors and line break is, um, well, first of all, it, it, the main thing is that um, when you're thinking about page poetry with line break, the reader, your audience, can has, has, has the luxury of time. You're not decorating time when you're writing out page poetry. Your, your canvas literally is that white space. And your painting is the black on the white. With all performance, whether it's music or dance or drama, you're decorating time. And the audience cannot go backwards and go, ooh, if I read the poem, you know, sort of up the page rather than down the page, I get something different. Um, they're not looking at a visual artifact the way that a page poet is. And in fact, I, I would suggest that that many, many actors would say that enjambment and line break is something they absolutely look for. Um, now that may be uh, in, in the time period that 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 we're speaking. We're we're recording this in November of twenty two. Um, what I have found now moving to England, and which is fascinating, is that more Americans 
are trained in sort of the John Barton, Peter Hall, uh, I guess, end of the 20th century, end of the 1900s, <laughs> the late 1900s. Um, but but it's true in, in what they were teaching in regards to uh, that you do something with the end of the line, you do something with the beginning of the line. And what I'm finding in the year of our Lord 2022 here in England is that somewhere in the past 20 years, like granted, I haven't been here <laughs> in the past 20 years, but speaking even to um, people who I won't name names, but I'm, I've had the fortune of meeting some like really, really big people here. Um, and they too are all saying that there's been a sort of movement in England to kind of be too cool for that mm. and to treat all of versification um like they they still kind of they get hang up on ah there are i ams where there where there may or may not be i ams but kind of treating uh the idea about enjambment as and and of line break as um completely optional treating everything as if it were written in paragraph form with a sort of casualness um that's interesting which, because i feel yeah. like that's what i was being told 15, 20 years ago about in America. American actors. <laughs> right, exactly. So we have somehow cross-migrated. Um, but I could say, at least for myself, um, both as a writer and as a performer, what is written on that line has always informed my performance. And I'm curious, Monica, sort of uh, what brought you to, to ask this question? What are the things that, that you find as a, I think particularly as a, a playwright, I don't know to the degree to which you perform, um, but you will, are very much come from a practicum side of things, directing, teching, teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was at Mary Baldwin, mm. we were very much so being trained in a lot of things, but um, John Barton was definitely a huge influence. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. The... There's a course there um, called The Language of Performance, and it's an mm. entire semester on how to, you look at verse, then you look at rhetoric. Um, like we had a week where we talked about like what constitutes a sex joke and what doesn't. Mm. Like when you're talking about Alphidius, uh, you know, fisting his throat, that, that is not, but like almost everything else is, you know, like, <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, that is an like, important distinction. It like, really is. That was literally something we were taught, right? Um, no, look, look, you were so specific with that. There's no way that wasn't a specific day of, of class. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, we spent a lot of time in mm. like, interpreting short lines, interpreting trochees, interpreting enjambment. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the classic one, which you've already discussed on the podcast numerous times, is Leontes. Um, well, because of John Barton again. Yeah. Again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and as I was thinking about this, you know, I think that as we are still using those building blocks because I think that mm -hmm. they're useful, but also mm -hmm. breaking away from everything has to look like Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, away from the rectangle. Thinking uh, mm. about like, okay, well, if 
if the type of verse that my character, like, is my character's, like, natural mode mm-hmm. says something about their state of mind or their their being, the way they interact with the world, mm-hmm. then um, when something happens to shake that um, mm-hmm. or, or when we are looking at moments of upheaval, because that's really, like, mm-hmm. there were so many things that I took away from that course – but mm. the thing that I really took away from it, or the sort of the way that I boiled it down, particularly for my students, was yes. that any time Shakespeare breaks the the iambic pentameter rhythm, for him, that, yeah. that's an invitation to like see that as some something like attach mm-hmm. some emotional meaning to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so thinking about like, okay, well, what, how do we interpret that away from maybe the uh, standard well, iambic pentameter. I guess I'm think- I've am i been thinking particularly uh, about this because people will say, ooh, there's a trochee. And I'm like, the more I've been experimenting with meter, the more I notice the audience, we talked about this in the masterclass, the audience really does not hear the difference between an iam and a trochee. Right. They'll hear a difference between sets of two and sets of three, sets of two and sets of four, right? Um, and yes, they'll feel it. Yes, it's there. But what I'm realizing is, uh, Shakespeare and the early modernists, um, and we're going to be getting on, uh, hopefully Robert Crichton from Beyond Shakespeare to give us mm-hmm. a history lesson about all the experimentation that was happening in the 1560s. Because apparently nice. there was a ton of experimentation between essentially what, like moving from medieval verse and then sort of landing on Gorbaduk where we got that iambic pentameter blank mm-hmm. verse line. And then we kind of got stuck there for centuries. But there was this whole decade of experimentation that um so I'm excited to get him on into here because by the time then Shakespeare's writing and Fletcher Beaumont but even you know Dryden afterwards you know by the time we sort of get to the Ibic pentameter blank verse is our new format um there are very few choices of variation they can make right in some ways because they're not doing uh, stanza form, which was is very common in the medieval times. They're not doing stanza, spoken stanzas uh, as much anymore. Um, certainly, they're not doing anything like uh, that. Page quotes will call free verse. We're going to call atotosic. Um, like that. That's centuries down the road, and it still isn't even quite here. We're we're working on it. We're trying to make it happen now. But so their choices for something that is different are limited. Um, so I think that's where, you know, we get excited when we're reading Shakespeare or any early modern, Ooh, there's a trochee, not an I am. Um, but yeah, you know, but, but the line break and the patterns of line break are another thing that we're in their toolbox and on our toolbox. Although, um, we're going to be looking at what all the hyper contemporary people are doing with protean line breaks, because almost none of them are using enjambment. Which is hilarious. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, we'll, so we'll be doing that in the episode after this one. <laughs> we'll, okay, take a look. we'll take a look at how we've both gone forward and then regressed. And everything's become end-stopped again. <laughs> but, um, but I think you're absolutely right. It's a question of what are the different patterns that make up the status quo for my character? And then which of them am I going to break or refuse to break, like double down on. Right. Um, and why? Because 
because everything is storytelling. And that's where I think page poets do teach us something when they're playing with the formatting on the page to like elicit an emotion in the reader. And we do want to do a similar thing. We're eliciting or inviting an emotion from the performer. So you have brought in some examples for us to look at. We're definitely going to be looking at two. We'll see. We'll see if if Billy Shakes makes the cut today. <laughs> he gets enough airtime. Well, that's kind of it. That's kind of it. We, <laughs> we might do a little 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 bonus symboline for you as a treat, but we're going to uh, start with the Maid's Tragedy by Bowman and Fletcher. But we also are going to be taking a look at your latest work in progress, which yes. is Shakespeare adjacent. So Bill is fine. <laughs> um, in which I'll have you talk a little bit more about when we get to it. Um, tell me a little bit about your association with the Maid's Tragedy uh, and why you've brought it in. This is an early modern play. It's by some uh, Shakespeare collaborators, Beaumont and Fletcher, uh, last names, um, both. And I have forgotten who's like Tom and John when I've forgotten first names. <laughs> and all oh. the academics will be shouting things at me. <laughs> yes. Um... But what is your association with The Maid's Tragedy? Great. So I saw a production at the American Shakespeare Center um, mm. during their Actors Renaissance season. And um, just they, pausing, that's the season when there is no director and the actors put on the plays uh, as an acting performing troupe. Uh, so there's no specific outside director. Sorry, please go. Correct. Go ahead. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> so I. I loved that season because they would experiment with uh, more obscure plays. Um, mm. So I saw several Beaumont and Fletcher pieces. Um, and mm. uh, so then in, I believe it was 2015, um, I was teaching at New College and I had the opportunity to direct something. And mm. uh, I had directed... I think Twelfth Night the year before, and so I was like, "Let's do Beaumont and Fletcher. Let's nice. let's do the Maid's Tragedy." It was a very short cut. It I think it ran like an hour and fifteen minutes. Like, oh my gosh, that that. <laughs> I, 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 I got to be honest. I'm not. <clears throat> I am on record of not loving uh, Fletcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and. Um, and so uh, a shortcut sounds just right. Um, I have pulled it up. This is by Francis Beaumont and John yes. Fletcher, published in 1619, but possibly went up uh, much earlier in the decade. It would have had yeah. to, because I think mm -hmm. uh, Beaumont died, I think, in 1616. Ooh. Um, yes. Or about. Spoiler. <laughs> Sorry. Uh what do you mean he's not still alive? You're right. Well done. 6th of March, 1616. Dang, I mean, look at you. It's Utah more Fritz. that I just knew that he <laughs> died the same year as Shakespeare. It's an easy comparison to like keep in your head. That's um, true. That's true. <laughs> but also you think of Fletcher as being after Shakespeare. So the fact that like one mm. of his main collaborators died the same year that Shakespeare did, I think is interesting. So um, this is a murder-suicide is what you are positing. <laughs> Okay, someone out there, yes. I want to read that play, by the way. <laughs> Do it. Do it. I give it to you. Um, so I 
I set it in like sort of a modern kind of punk aesthetic. Mm. Um, not, you know, like not any sort of like complicated, this is where we are, but just sort of aesthetic choices. Um, mm. and, um, and we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, and so that, um, but I remembered when you were talking about the Spanish tragedy, um, in our Facebook group, um, that being early verse, um, if, you know, if I may it, just say, yes. uh, the super secret Facebook group for those of you who are patrons on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Hamlet to Hamilton. You were saying. <laughs> Definitely. Always plug it. Um, so the, you know, I, I love the Spanish tragedy. It's doing mm-hmm. so many fun things, but like Marlowe, like, you know, so many plays of the 1580s, um, early 1590s, mm-hmm. it gets that criticism of it all feels very much the same. It's very, well, it's very much end-stopped. Shared lines are are iffy. Um, it, even dialogue, sometimes you, you don't get a lot of dialogue. And uh, in speaking to academics here, of course, they are wondering about performance conditions. If you're in an echoey hall, you, it's easier to control a monologue than it is dialogue, for example. Right. right? You know, things, right, things of that ilk. Uh, let alone because they're coming from rhyming poetry. Um, not that rhyme can't be enjammed. It absolutely can. Um, but there's there's been a thought really up until about the 1900s when we got free verse that the unit, that the line, well, it's, it's of schwumpf, basically, mm-hmm. but that everything that's on a line of verse is the is the thought and therefore you make complete thoughts. You know, it's it's kind of difficult to get away from sentence structure so even if you have sort of a phrasal end stop yeah there's sort of a there is much more just stoppage (laughs) neatness there's neatness and tidiness and what's interesting though is as you said everyone's first step uh not everyone but but the primary first step for uh anglophone verse dramatists the past several centuries is can i do shakespeare um and that usually means that there's a lot of neatness and tidiness in everyone's sort of first attempt right uh and enjambment is is a little rebellious yeah so (laughs) so spanish tragedy all the early stuff uh they too are neat and tidy by and large Mm -hmm. yeah and so um i remembered from directing this that um a like fletcher and his collaborators tend to have mm-hmm. rather um, messy verse, which sometimes, like, which does not necessarily always um, help the people who are using that John Martin training. Um, yeah, no, it is. It is often <laughs> they're cutting on meter or cutting on the tenth syllable. They're not really cutting on anything uh, performable, right? <laughs> But so I went back and I looked at um, a mentor's final speeches in mm. the maid's tragedy um, because I remembered, and I think that I was looking at something else when we did this. But it was, you know, we were mm. looking at, you know, um, where the meter was regular and where it wasn't. But mm. in looking at it, um, 
in the speech that we're going to look at in particular, there Mm -hmm. are some nice places where, um, you know, you get like death of, or fear of death or, you know, like stuff like that, where it's, Mm -hmm. it's enjammed in some interesting, you know, some potentially interesting ways. Um, but in particular that in those, those final speeches, I remembered having, um, a discussion with the actor about how, you know, there are dead bodies to spoil a, 400 a, 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 tra- a made tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there are bodies all over the floor and, and a mentor's language is much more unruly. And then he mm. sort of makes a decision um, and, and things become a lot more tidy. Um, mm. And so when I pointed this, so, so I wanted to point that out in terms cool. of like, there are some things there that maybe we can use. Um, well, that, that we found playable yeah. in that moment, which Ooh. is, I think, the important thing. The important thing. So let's take a look at this. You've pulled uh, two speeches. They are in the same act, same scene as well? Or same no? scene. Great. And uh, we've just cut out the in-between bits. I will be reading. And to be honest, I've only lightly skimmed this. So uh, we will discover what's Shatner and what is Barton. Yeah, I mean, what I would recommend is just reading that first one, because I think that mm-hmm. first one is going to give you, give us all the things that we want to look at, and then okay. we can look at just that two-sentence line in that second that, one that, you want to look that at the I second mentioned. One? Great, okay. So this is The Maid's Tragedy by Francis Beaumont and John Fletcher, first published in 1619, but probably not performed then. Uh, Act 5, a mentor? A mentor. Is... A mentor, a mentor, A-M-I-N-T-O-R is speaking, and uh, apparently the bodies have hit the floor already, and uh, this is a he, he says? He says. (laughs) Okay, he says. This earth of mine doth tremble, and I feel a stark, affrighted motion in my blood. My soul grows weary of her house, and I, all over, am a trouble to myself. There is some hidden power in these dead things that calls my flesh into um I'm cold. Be resolute and bear em company. There's something yet which I am loath to leave. There's man enough in me to meet the fears that death can bring, and yet would it were done, I can find nothing in the whole discourse of death. I durst not meet the boldest way. Yet still betwixt the reason and the act, the wrong eye to Aspatia did stands up. I have not such a fault to answer, though she may justly arm with scorn and hate of me. My soul will part less trouble when I have paid to in her when I have paid to her in tears my sorrow. I will not leave this act unsatisfied if all that's left in me can answer it. Great. It's so interesting. There are a few places in there where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm here. And then bits where I'm like, what is your grammar, dude? What do you mean? Now I'm just going, what is happening? So right. once again, line break matters only so long as a line <laughs> is worth anything. But there are, some, there are some really lovely things in here where I felt that sense that, that poets talk about with enjambment of um, that enjambment can either like open up something you didn't know was going to come next or like a series of mystery boxes as it were Mm -hmm. or expand on something or twist and turn it on the enjambment so for example um where is it oh uh 
or, or it re-emphasizes something at the beginning. So something that emphasized at the beginning was there's man enough to me, there's man enough in me to meet the fears that death can bring. So it's not just fears. Um, the line ends on fears, but then I start again on death, which is um, like powerful. Like I need a breath before I can say the word death. Right. Um, and then uh, that line ends with a soft end stop on a semicolon. And then the next line is, I can find nothing in the whole discourse, line break, of death. So it's using enjambment to actually give me a moment to choose to say the harder word as an actor, which is really exciting. We have a sort of Leontes thing up top of my soul grows weary of her house and I all over am a trouble to myself. Um, I feel I it's the- not, not as strong as play too. Like I, I wish it had started with an I verb trouble to myself. Sure. Um, <laughs> certainly. But I also think that that's one of those moments where he's choosing not like if, if later mm. he is choosing to take the harder word up here, mm. he's choosing not to because, because the thing he's talking about Ooh. is killing himself. Yeah, and he's yeah. choosing not to say that. He's choosing mm. to say, all over, I'm a trouble to myself. Mm. So you've you've got that. If we were to, to write it now, we might put it in ellipses after the I. Right. And I almost feel like I would want to give a little indentation uh, tab over to really let you know I need you to make a choice mm. how to say or not to say. Um, I, it'd be interesting if there were crossed out words there that would tell me to swallow something. Nice. Um, again, these are little, little gifts that we could give the actors, but which are, uh, they don't have, they don't have those gifts to give in the (laughs) the early 1600s, but we do. Um, there was another one that I really liked. Ah, Though she may justly arm with scorn and hate of me. Again, there's this sense of, it's really interesting that I, I, I feel largely, I get, I get right up to the moment of what I'm going to say, and then I double down at the beginning. So I think it's important to remember with line break that it's not just line break. It's not line ending. That's why we call it line break, right? It's not just line ending. It's also line beginning. What do you choose to say next? constant choice because again we're decorating time time is moving forward so it's what do i do next um uh there was one really nice line something that i'm noticing is if when you have a bunch of enjambed lines and then you have a perfect line that perfect line can really stand out that was it there was a perfect line in there's something yet which i am loath to leave Mm-hmm. which is it's beautifully metrical it's uh lovely to say on the tongue there's something yet which i am loath to leave really is right literally literally i feel it on the tip of my tongue um and it comes after so these are line endings right up to this this is our first full stop so it's and i feel and uh it's a pure enjambment in my blood semicolon and i pure enjambment, to myself, semicolon. These dead things, pure enjambment, I am cold, which is its own phrase on the line, which I think we might be talking about in a bit, uh, semicolon. And 
Then be resolute and bear them company. It ends with a, a colon, but somehow they all still feel small, mm-hmm. little unfinished bits. Um, but we're like we're moving towards a definitive something because we just had semicolon, semicolon, colon, and then but there's some or there's something yet which I am loath to leave. Period. And you feel that. So there's there's something to playing with in jam and jam and jam. Maybe a little lesson jam, and then boom. Um, which can tell us something about making choices, right? Right. And and then mm. um, I really like it. It's two lines. Um, mm. But uh, the wrong, no, uh, yet still twixt the reason and the act, the wrong I too Aspatia did stands up. Um, that was a hard one for me to say. It is a hard one to say. Because, um, it, because the syntax is... Is is weird. I I would have sent this back to the right. And actually, it was at that moment that I went because <laughs> I'm inclined to give uh, to give Beaumont uh, the first bit felt like ooh this made me Beaumont. And then there was that, and I was like, where is my noun? This is Fletcher. Fletcher wrote these two lines. <laughs> Fletcher who hates nouns. <laughs> anyway, we have the wrong. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> Um, but then he's like the wrong I Aspasia, like he has too many nouns then. Um, the wrong I to Aspasia. Yeah. The wrong I to Aspasia did. It's the wrong I did to Aspasia. Right. Stands up. Yeah. Like just, he just, he did all the English bad. You English sure. bad. Sure. Uh, English, not great. But uh, the thing that I like about those two lines is that, you know, so mm. you've got that that section at the top leading into the mm. line that you mentioned. Then mm. you've got this next little section where he talks about how he doesn't fear death. Mm. And right, that, that was the double death we were talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. this this set of lines comes in and is like, I have a job to do before mm. before all this other stuff with death can happen. I need to go and write this wrong. Um, and so mm. even if the the language maybe takes a little bit of, of teasing to get it, you know, to flow smoothly, and that's something that, you know, you well, could have fixed I'm, I'm looking at this ago. too, I'm like, um, I <laughs> is in the wrong metrical place. Yeah, it is. <laughs> because the whole thing is an I am's, and th- this just makes it dumb. It doesn't even make it a meter. It makes it dumb. Sorry, sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Boom on a pleasure. Okay, all right. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I will say that when I taught this, the, the oh. reasoning behind teaching it with undergrads was if I can guide you through something that is this complicated, mm. you can then go on to do any Shakespeare you want. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, but, but yeah, so I thought that like, I feel mm. like there is a way in which the speech goes to chaos and then has mm. a moment of decision, goes to chaos, has another mm. attempt at a, at a moment of decision and right. then kind of plays out to that that final moment where he's going to go off to Aspasia, except that she's really there. Spoilers. Of, of course. <laughs> uh, no, amazing. Um, you also wanted, you have a second one here, and you want to talk about this, this is couplet, essentially, these two lines. Yes. And I'll read it out for you so you can hear the enjambment. Here it goes. This is still... Uh, a, a mentor <laughs> speaking. <Yes. laughs> Thank you for being kind to me. And he says, I have heard if there be life, but bow the body thus, and it will show itself. Which, go ahead, Monica, why is that great? Why is okay. that a great line break? 
So, a little bit of context and more spoilers for, again, this 400-year-old play. Um, when he says that he's going to go off to uh, apologize to Aspasia, it turns out that she's actually bleeding out on the floor. She's been in disguise. Um, he actually... When... This actually sounds like a little Sweeney Toddy. Okay, go ahead. It's... it's... <laughs> It's so good because she she has deci- she's been jilted by him. She decides that she is going to um, the the way that she is going to exit this world is by death at his hand. So she shows up demanding satisfaction on her own behalf, disguised as her brother, and picks oh, a fight with him. Awesome. Um, yes, okay, gotta I, be I honest. Like that's that's kind play. of a, like good for her. <laughs> I mean, she does. She has a lot of like amazing speeches. Like she quotes like this lineage of like well. Dido was left by Aeneas and then she like threw herself into fire. She like, she's like, this is how women deal with this. Maybe not okay. a good example. Don't, don't follow her example, but, um, no, but, but sometimes <laughs> those characters can be way fun to play. <laughs> yes. She is delightful to, you know, in production. Um, right. So anyway, so you were saying, so, um, he has tried to tell her not to die. That did not work. <laughs> And now in this monologue, in the soliloquy, um, he is trying to find ways to revive her. Um, Mm. And so he has her um, lifeless body. He's he's tried chafing her temples. He's tried a couple of other things. And now he's going to um, bow the body um, in order to try to get blood flowing back to a part of her that will revive her. Um, Ah. And so to have this moment of enjambment right on the word um, bow the body, um, bow enjambment, the body. Um, right, right. Gives you this wonderful playable moment. I don't remember if we did this in production or not, but I just <laughs> saw it when I was reading back through it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, this is because that moment is very gross, right? Like she's, you know, he, he's, he's trying yeah. to bring someone back. Um, and it's very visceral um, to stage, mm. really, really beautifully visceral. Um, so to to then have this invitation to, in the middle of explaining to the audience what you're about to do, just going ahead and doing it, but bow, dunk Line her break. forward, <laughs> the body <laughs> the thus. Body thus. <laughs> Well, and of course, an enjambment it is a break, and you know, bowing the body is is breaking the body too. That's hilarious. Yeah, I actually would love to read this speech real quick, great, because um, it does something that I think we probably need to talk about more. Since essentially, the three parts of any line of verse are what's on the line of verse, um, the line break, and any dynamic white space. I mean, four lines, I guess, you know, in, for all formatting include um, margin as well, but we'll leave that as red. Um, but this does some really interesting, um, essentially small schmoofs on the line. Um, so let me read it and uh, I'll try to make sure that you all can hear the enjambments. Uh, sorry, not the enjambments. Uh, most of this is is line stopped, but where you're going to hear sort of the feeling of enjambment or ferocity is actually going to be in um, the fact that most of these lines have more than one thought on it. So um, I will do my best to to shroom for a whole line, but let you feel the separate thoughts on the line and feel the line enjambment. 
uh, because I'm sorry, you know, when you build off of John Barton's work, I think there's something like there are helpful suggestions there and then we could go further. Anyway, here we go. So he has just discovered that Aspasia is is not dead yet. (laughs) He's feeling better. Well, and then she is dead. (laughs) And then, well, Sean. Okay, here we go. (laughs) He says, she swoons. Aspasia, help for heaven's sake water, such as may chain life forever to this frame. Aspasia, speak, what no help, yet I, fool, I'll chafe her temples, yet there's nothing stirs. Some hidden power, tell her that a mentor calls, and let her answer me. Aspasia, speak! I have heard if there be life, but bow the body thus, and it will show itself. Oh, she is gone. I will not leave her yet, since out of justice we must challenge nothing. I'll call it mercy, if you'll pity me, you heavenly powers, and lend for some few years the blessed soul to this fair seat again. No comfort comes. The gods deny me, too. I'll bow the body once again. Aspasia! (sighs) The soul is fled forever. And I wrong myself so long to lose her company. Must I talk now? Here's to be with thee, love. Hot damn! Yep. Okay, friends, you need to put this second one in your (laughs) book of monologues for auditions, babes. Like, that's good. It's really good. if, If that's Fletcher... Fletcher, well done. <laughs> if it's Beaumont, buddy. <laughs> it, it, what's interesting is uh, I would not say this feels like Shakespeare. It definitely feels like a different writer from Shakespeare, um, which I love, right, if we're talking attribution. But what this does is it sort of gets the breathless feeling of enjambment by putting small, um, what, Hemi schwumps, <laughs> yeah. essentially, on each large line, on each line. So she swoons, Aspasia, help, for heaven's sake, water, all one line. And now if this were contemporary drama, and this is what we're going to be talking about next week, I think they would put line breaks on each schwumpf and not string together multiple disparate schwumpfs into a, a single line of schwumpf. They would say, she swoons, line break. Aspasia, help, line break. For heaven's sake, water, line break. Well, they might say, for heaven's sake, water, such as may chain life forever to this frame. Um, Where this is, she swoons, Aspasia, help, for heaven's sake, water, such as may chain life forever to this frame. Which I think tells you the important thing what line break can do, but therefore what line unity can do as well. I think we tend to forget that, that line unity, if we say these are all the same feeling, the actor may feel the need to, what I was feeling was the need to want to take a breath and denying myself taking that breath. And so therefore feeling weirdly breathless, even though I had plenty of breath to get through 10 syllables. Right. Um, can you look at that next line, the third line mm. of that? Um, Aspacious speak, what no help, yet I fool. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like, okay, here are three different people mm-hmm. that I'm talking to, right? Like Aspasia, the body, 
um, some person that I imagine will come and help me, but isn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And then turning it back to myself. um, Yes. In a single line. Yes. Well, and then I was feeling the sejuris towards the end where you have full stops in the middle of the line. And so you, even though there's no like spacing there, um, which I, I feel like since we just have more tools, I feel that we might, the, the contemporary verse dramatist again. Uh, okay. The, uh, so <laughs> bow, bow the body thus, and it will show itself full stop. And again, this is our, this is our second full stop, third full stop thus far in this whole thing, though it doesn't feel stopped because we have such, small disparate thoughts on each line itself um but this is our first exclamation point and uh, again the contemporary verse dramatists would do oh she is gone exclamation point line break i will not leave her yet and that gives you information stringing them together tells me the performer that i need to keep my ouvriel the same through this line the ouvriel is going to like the the, the tension the ouvriel tension is going to say the same, oh, she is gone, I will not leave her yet, are connected, maybe not on breath, but somehow in my brain, in tension. And I could take as long a sejura as I want. Think of it more as a um, a fermata in music rather than actually writing in and you will take three rests, <laughs> you know? Right. It's saying, hold, fermata to me says, hold this tension, Um for however long you and the audience are like feeling it together. It's less proscriptive and way more vibey. Um, And I find uh, sejuras can be really vibey. So, oh, she is gone, exclamation point. I stay on the line. I will not leave her yet. Those things are now connected in my brain. And yet, if you were writing it out, you might feel the need to transcribe it with a line break in between. There's no line break here. And I do feel it's actually, it's, it, it has a certain strength. I think you could argue either way, because another thing that I might be inclined to do is to turn them into twists where, oh, she is gone. Uh, I might put it on its own line and, and push it in a bit. And then I will not leave her yet would almost look like a shared line sort of cascading down. And then I'd have the next essentially stanza of since out of justice, uh, we must challenge nothing. I'll call it mercy if you, and so on and so forth. So all these different things sort of are different choices. Um, but the the very last line as well does the sejour in the middle. Must I talk now? Here's to be with love. To, here's to be with the, I wish there were a comment there, but love. <laughs> I, you know, that's again, probably, you know. It's an editorial. Who knows where it exactly. <laughs> I mean, this copy of this I took from like Project Gutenberg because all of my books are still well, and it, it, it and really is going to be so different. I mean, that, and as I'm learning more and more about what editors do in, in that time period. and Yeah. One of the classes that mess. we took, at, <laughs> one of the classes I took at Mary Baldwin was mm. uh, called Textual Culture. But it started, mm. like, it was, like, basically print history, but also, like, how did you get from, you know, the imagined Shakespeare quill, right, like, mm. to how did it get to production? How did it get to the print houses? What happened at print houses? Like lots of details about like printing presses and paper manufacturing, um, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
And like that really gave me a healthy sense of skepticism towards like mm-hmm. punctuation, right? Like, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> you do not need to let useful, this rule your life. Use it. If it's not useful, don't. Uh, well, you know. and that is the tricksy thing with early modern and medieval, um, but particularly I would say early modern lineation is that the editors so changed the lineation and uh, it wasn't just the editors it passed through so many people before it ever got printed and each person is will also like change the text to change the meter you know they will tidy it up into iambics and that might not have been what the author wrote sure so um so we though are in a very unique and wonderful position of uh, of being able to be much more precise about what our contemporary verse dramatists mean and the punctuation and lineation that, that they choose. Which brings us neatly to your piece, your work in progress, which is inspired by Much Ado About Nothing. Can you tell us about it? Yes. So um, I've seen recently cropping up, uh, and I, I saw again a production this summer, um, mm. the choice in doubling characters to cast the same actor in the role of hero and dogberry. Um, and one of the first times that I heard this mentioned, um, the director talking about it said, um, well then it's, it's like, she kind of gets to solve her own crime. And I was like, but what if she just did though? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Amazing. Um, so after seeing this production this summer, uh, that reignited this interest and, Mm. um, I am about 65 pages through, um, a full length, um, that is, yeah, it's been, um, a work in progress, um, that intentionally chooses to say that hero, um, has has decided while all of the men are off fighting that she is going to run around Messina streets at night dressed as this old constable um, and just this. have fun. And then, of course, everyone comes home. So it's following the plot very closely. I'm including some scenes directly from Shakespeare. So it I has cannot that, tell you how much I love this. <laughs> so it has that vibe of um, watching, you mm. know, um, Stoppard's, uh, Rosa uh, Prince Rosa and Prince. Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to see like, okay, this is the Shakespeare scene. This is the Shakespeare scene. This is, you know, and right. then having the characters doing their own things. Um, yes. Yes. Not in a sort of existential way, like his play does, but in a much mm-hmm. more practical, like, Hey, we're going to go, you know, put on our hats and dress yeah. up and, and go off and talk in prose. Um, <laughs> so that's well, the and play. That's the premise. That's what I've been working on. Does it have a title at, at the moment, a working title? Uh, I, I mean... Maybe not. Not really. Like, the, the sort of working title is just Hero Dogberry. I mean, that might do it. That works. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Much Ado About Hero. <laughs> I don't know. But... Uh, Cool. So we have two pieces here. Act one, scene one, where we are going to get the sense not only of hero. Um, is this actually the very beginning of the play? So I remember back at the beginning of the season uh, yeah, yeah. That, you, that you said, 
don't start a play with a soliloquy, and yet I have. Um, well, well, I, unless, unless unless there's a little bit of narration, which in looking at this, I think you've managed to do. And also, I feel like it's one of those plays where if you're coming into this, you most likely know the source material um, is my my intended audience, yes, right? Yes. And so you're, I'm plopping you down in the middle of of a world that you already know. I don't need to establish it, except what I need to establish is how it's different, and that's what I'm doing here. Uh, we're, I'm about to read this, friends, and uh, we just had a, a little chat off mic, which you're not going to get to hear, about how the second line might be altered in times to come just so that Hero says her own name, and yet maybe... Uh, keeps very strictly to iambic pentameter here since you are playing. It looks like to me um, at first blush that you are very much playing with hero speaks in iambic pentameter and Dogberry speaks in uh, paragraph prosaic type language. Is that correct? That is certainly correct. Great. Um, So yes, the qualification to never have your lead character give the opening soliloquy is unless they also give the expository information up front immediately um, because there's always I, – I did mention George, right? Think of George? No? I'll, I'll give it real quick again. <laughs> Always think of the terrible grandpa in the back of the audience that came to see the show who is going to talk through your show and keep asking his wife, Ethel, what's that? Who's that? I didn't say, what's her name? Okay, and I call him George, and I tell all playwrights, think of George, by which I mean shut him up, give him the information right away so he cannot ask Ethel for the remaining three hours what is happening this this comes from a thing that actually did happen to me I was watching damn Yankees and there was a guy behind me speaking the whole time because he it kept going who's that why are they looking at us what do you mean they're televisions I don't see any televisions no, they're not watching television because there should be televisions if they're watching television. Well, by that point, the whole first song had gone and he was now lost and was asking questions about the scene that had just happened in the next scene. And so he was, and he talked loud. Think of George. Think of George. So yep. the, only, the only note that I give is perhaps the second line may be changing in future iterations, possibly just so that Hero says her own name to shut up George. May happen, may not. You get to find out future grad students trying to do attribution on this play. <laughs> there we go. A little, a little Easter egg, a little something for future theses. How exciting. <laughs> All right. But so this is act one, scene one, line one. And Hero uh, says, do you, do you mind doing just a state saying the stage directions? I can say stage directions. So it's a yeah. different voice. Okay. So. I mean, I could act it, but you may as well hear the stage directions. (laughs) Here we go. The watch is quietly about their business, and I do roam Messina streets alone. My favorite time of night to breathe the air, to hear the nightingale sing its song, and walk thus free about in this disguise. Transforming into the character of Dogberry. The rustic constable Dogberry, with words bigger than his little vocabulary, can put to abuse. A man of twice my age and half my learning. Transforming back into hero, still in Dogberry's clothing. 
This guise has served me steady these few months, since every able-bodied man went forth to war and glory and forgot their homes. I gain a measure sum of freedom here, while I protect the town from villainy. None know of this device save for my cousin, a sister to me from my mother's sister, both born and christened Beatrice by name. But to my dogberry, she's Verges called. I could not hide a single thought from her. She is my secret keeper, confidant. And then I'm presuming someone, someone comes on? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, I don't know why it it like missed me when I was doing a real quick read of this, that Beatrice is Verges. But of course Beatrice is Verges. And oh my gosh, this makes those two just like 12,000 times better. So good, so good. Um, the reason why I paused longer between and I do Rome Messina Streets alone is because I'm like, oh no, just add in an extra line there. Because uh, right, <laughs> the first yeah. two lines are great. And then do Rome Messina Streets alone, comma, hero, daughter of Leonardo. Or yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, so this is very neat, very tidy. Um, even the enjambments are uh fairly neat, although we get um, able-bodied man went forth to war and glory and forgot their homes. Um, freedom here. But while I protect, we start with a new phrase. Um, I like that because even though things are exciting, they're exciting in this sort of neat and precise way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, curiously, I know this sounds odd, but I felt a little, um, well, I felt a little, uh, if, if Jane Austen's heroines ever decide to have some fun, or a little Enola Holmesy, you know, uh, which is great. And then uh, love, it was so easy. And you probably could hear the difference between verse and when it went, I mean, besides my terrible accent work, but you can feel the difference uh, in energy. By changing to paragraph format, you absolutely change the oeuvre. Like I felt that which was was really fun. Let me try actually the very end of uh, the verse into paragraph back into verse. This time though, I'm not going to change my voice and let's just see if the audience can sort of hear the difference because the format is different. So. Do you want the stage directions this time or should we just listen No stage to direction. Yeah, right. let's see. Let's see if in fact your formatting does what it does. <laughs> My favorite time of night to breathe the air, to hear the nightingale sing its song, and walk thus free about in this disguise. The rustic constable Dogberry, with words bigger than his little vocabulary can put to abuse, a man of twice my age and half my learning. This guise has served me steady these few months since every able-bodied man went forth to war and glory and forgot their homes. Yeah, um, I mean, it's also very hard not to, like, do something because the 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 syntax and the language changes um when it changes to dogberry um and i i i love the wordplay with abuse there that's great tell me a little bit about so was do you write um chronologically was this the first thing you wrote as well this is uh it yeah is. so i i jumped around a little bit when i first started writing um mm. this this summer um because there were a couple of key thoughts um but now mm. that i'm I, I have some ideas for scenes that are coming later, um, but at this point in the script, what I'm doing is I'm pulling mm -hmm. up Shakespeare's play, reading, 
uh, until I want to use something, figuring out what I need to write in order to get to there, and then mm. including that, and then going back and reading till the next thing. Um, mm. So that uh, has been, it, it's it's been a pretty chronological process, though there have been a couple of moments, um, like, I started with this idea so clearly, right. um, I did not actually think about Beatrice as being Virgis until about 15 pages in. And then I was like, wait, this is, I have to go back. So I, right, 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 right. I have already had to go back a couple of times as I um, discover ways to, mm. to change characters or ways mm. to um, add in little Easter eggs. Um, yes. Well, I was going to say, in some ways, I mean, you're now treating Much Ado About Nothing as a mystery. And it's where right. Enola Holmes spring to mind, you know, like, um, which is just a, a brilliant way because, in fact, that is, I mean, Dogberry is there. He is trying to found a mystery. So, like, just take it seriously, weirdly, and now it makes everything comical. It's so funny. Um, something that I'm noticing about your verse, and I'd be very interested if it's in your other verse, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't like done a deep dive through all your verse, uh, speaking out out loud to, to discover this or no. Um, but something, uh, and we talked about this in one of the, um, shakes notes that sometimes verse is a downward dive. Sometimes it's an upward hill. There are different sine waves to the way verse can be written. And I'm looking at yours and I'm realizing when I, I think when I treat your verse as a, a gentle hill, more than as a dive, it actually, I th I think that functions more. This guise has served me, it's so like served me steady these few months since every able body man went forth to war and glory and forgot their homes. There's there's a, I'm going to call it a dolphin. It feels like a, a, a dolphin way. It's more than a like, because with the, um, with the medieval one, I felt like I was trudging up a hill. This feels more like a dolphin sine wave, which is just really kind of neat. And I want to point that out because everyone is going to, you know, you, your your authorial voice is going to change how you use a line. Um, and diving is not the only way to use a line. <laughs> dolphin right. is another way to use a line. <laughs> and that's interesting. It's not something that I had really noticed about my own writing yet. Um, mm. So I, I will be interested to see if that is something that is this scene or if that is right. something that is um because I definitely think that there's um moments where like we're going to see you mm -hmm. know those you know beginning trochees sort of diving in and you know that yeah. sort of pushing a verse that's being pushed a little bit more as characters mm. are in different states well, this idea of sort of looking at the sine wave of the line is still so new that I feel that I don't have much language about it. And I don't know that we have many examples that don't emulate the early modern, wherein by and large, you're usually fine if you dive into the line rather than any other sine wave. Um, so I think I'm more excited to discover a dolphin sine wave in the wild, as it were, because this is another place where we can make patterns and then make changes. Right. And um, I'm pointing, I'm giving it to you more as like, ooh, she's doing this in the beginning. It may be something for you to keep an eye out since it's now part of your tool boudoir is the sine wave. 
what is the regular sine wave of this character and does that alter? So speaking of altering, let's take a look at this second bit. We are now in act three, scene three. Talk me, this is before or after the interval. So uh, I have not figured that out yet. Um, Okay. I just, I I usually put my interval after act three, but. Probably. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. um, I'm. I'm Act three or five, I should say. Following very closely with the, Mm -hmm. um, the pacing of Shakespeare's play, there's a lot of, um, you know, like setting up with the party and setting up Mm. with like the night before and and, like all of these things. Um, and so now we've gotten sort of, this is, this is the, the wedding or the first Mm -hmm. (laughs) almost wedding. Um, and, and I'm copying a lot of that directly from Shakespeare, cutting it down as to just the bare meat meat of sure. it. And mm-hmm. then I'm uh, like taking out Benedict's asides and adding in Beatrice's asides and you know, <laughs> making Love choices. That. Um, Love that for this play. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, Dame Emma Thompson, are you hearing? Would you like to reprise a role? No? Yes? (laughs) Most certainly. Um, Oh, my goodness. So, uh, as I got through, um, you know, Leonardo's kind of awful line where he's like, don't even wake up, just just Mm. be dead. Um, Mm. The friar gets this nice, long, like, very lengthy speech where he explains, like, oh, but if he was in love, if Claudio was mm-hmm. really in love with you, then when he hears you're dead, he'll be sad about it. Um, <laughs> and it goes on for quite a while as he explains this whole thing that, like, any of us yeah. who have seen Romeo and Juliet, any of us who have seen Much Ado About Nothing, we know how this works. Um, mm-hmm. Friars really like to pretend that people are dead. That's just a thing that they do, I guess. Um <laughs> So part of your monk school. Yeah. (laughs) What to do in case a wedding goes really bad. Death. (laughs) Right. So I have um, a stage direction that I did not give to you um, in this is uh, Friar Francis begins explaining his plan to Leonardo. That's the stage direction. And then instead. So that's happening in the background type thing. Right. Um, Nice. So then instead what we get is Hero's um, soliloquy as she is processing what is like literally happening in the moment. Like Claudio has just left. She has fainted. She has revived. She is hearing them talk about her, you know, pretend death. And Mm. here she is. Um, So I I gave you this whole soliloquy that has moments where where um, Beatrice is interrupting. And then um, there's one final line on the, the last page. And I am sorry that I didn't format that better to it's give it to you. Fine. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so if you would like, I can read Beatrice. Um, if, if that's, if yes, that's what you want to I do. would very okay. much like that. Yes, please. Please. And thank you. Great. Great. Okay. So this is, Okay, hold on. So, Hero's just been denounced. She swooned, but now she's... Is she, like, sitting up? She's reawakened. I mean, I... D- does know. everyone know she's reawakened, or is she yes. sort of... Re- no, no, no. Like, okay. every... Like, <laughs> I guess... She has reawakened. He's had the line where he's like, 
why are you even still alive? Um, and you know, I, I haven't really given thought to the staging as to like whether she's sitting in stands or like there's a whole bunch of, this is a soliloquy because the friar and her dad have just gone off to, to talk. Everyone is talking behind her. It's kind of in that vein, almost of like, uh, remember the speech and I don't remember even who says it, but in Henry six, uh, part one, where like Margaret is like, uh, you're monologuing, but I can't tell what you're saying. Um, like Beatrice kind of has that of, of recognizing that something's going on with hero, but not hearing it. Okay, so here we go. And something I'm going to throw out so that the audience knows is that immediately, just visually talking about page poetry, I am told that definitely not all of this is in eidetic stickic verse. There are short lines. Um, There are at least three short lines. I'm sure if I looked at everything else, I might find some exciting metrical things. I'm seeing already some interesting... um, I guess we'll call it contemporary line endings where I'm seeing more uh, like stronger punctuation. I'm seeing a period, question mark, exclamation point, enjambment, comma, short line, enjambment, enjambment, hyphen, <laughs> exclamation point, short line, period, short line, period, enjambment, period, enjambment, exclamation point, enjambment, comma, period, enjambment, 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 period comma, period, period, but right after an exclamation point, period. (laughs) So I'm already seeing just visually that there's something chaotic with how you have written uh, and formatted this. I am curious that the short lines are all left justified. I'm going to read them as left justified. I guess my biggest question with less justified is when I see left justified, I often feel that the playwright wants me possibly to keep to either to make that short line a whole uh still like five beats in this case is that true or do you want me to change time signature um i think that what i've been playing with is Mm -hmm. that there is um in this type of short line because i'm not Mm -hmm. everything i'm I'm doing is left justified i'm not indenting anything in this piece um, sure. other pieces I'm working with that, but this piece right, I'm yeah, yeah. left justifying <laughs> everything. So, um, I choose, um, to either put, uh, a space before or after, but know that since it is, since it is a short line, there is, you know, in this case, both of those, there are two feet missing. Like so, are those two so, feet before or after? Um, so you do, you do want it to be kept in the pentameter. Choose my rest stops. Right. Okay, good to know. All right, so, and this is why we're glad to have a live playwright to tell us what they meant. Okay, cool. So uh, here we go. I feel nervous about taking a run at this because I can already tell it's going to be like a big one. I'm like, I'm going to do it bad, but uh, fail gloriously. (laughs) All right, so Hero says, to say that I am dead, tis how I feel, I feel. False, a wanton talked I with a man? I am betrayed by one who swore to love me. His lies are dagger's points aimed at my heart, and I, without the armor, should repel them and pierce it to the soul. I feel it shrivel from my unchanged form. Unchanged or unchanged? Unchanged form. I think it's unchanged form. 
I feel it shrivel from my unchanged form. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Just checking. <laughs> sorry. Yep. I feel it shri- You've been very good about putting accents over the, the eds, which, by the way, really, I thank you. I think just with that meter, I, I, I don't know. I had a moment of confusion. Let me go back. So sorry. Uh, I'll take it from the short line. And pierced to the soul, I feel it shrivel from my unchanged form, leaving a hollow, empty, walking shell that doth betray the sense of life whilst I... What do I do with this? I am nothing. I was a daughter once. A wife was like to be. But now they say I'm to be but dead until Count Claudio recants or else. I hear the friar say that I should be concealed as doth befit my shame. Oh, God. I worded that now they knew the honest truth of these my nightly escapades forsooth and be accused of baseless liaisons. I would, I could produce old Dogberry and show the world his cap and well-worn coat. Then let the county say he'll none of me and take offense at the fashion of my hose. For then were reason or some simple folly to call off our nuptials and leave me thus forlorn. But this, I cannot think on this. Alas, my mind recoils at the thought of it. My dearest cuz, my heart's dear heart, oh, speak. Nay. <laughs> I have already struck upon it. I, for hero's dead and must now be interred, the more for Dogberry, that wizened fool, whom I had thought retired evermore to take his place upon the watch by night and sit till doomsday in the village square. Rave nonsense that will make his former speech sound sensible and sane. I'll mock the world for all its somberest pursuit and mourn. <clears throat> Nay, I'll not think that away. Oh, fie. I'm back round where I started, full of tears. <laughs> Cuz, cousin, hero, speak to me. I'm fine. Oh, oh, bravissima. Oh my gosh, that's good. All right, friends, you're going to have to write Monica. You're going to have to tweet at her, which is at the Roaring Girl on Twitter, if Twitter is still standing. <laughs> if not, go to New Play Exchange, which is far more sensible. And uh, certain folks have never paid emeralds for. And you can see, <laughs> you can hopefully see this one day when it's up on New Play Exchange. And put this also in your monologue book. That was great. And I think the thing that I I want to give you the biggest compliment on was that very last line, last full line for Hero slash Dogberry of Ofi, line break, I'm background where I started full of tears because, so I had never read this out loud. I'd given it a cursory glance, but this was really very cold. I was not, you know, like, ooh, I'll do this on this. Um, and from what I had before, the words, the line breaks, the schwoomfs on the line, um, by the time I got to that line, I felt teary. And then I said it and I was like, oh, wow, well done. Like that's a, that's a hovey move. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Oh man. <laughs> High praise. <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, cool. Okay, talk to me about this speech. What were some of the things that you were... Th- I Like, I need to take a, a breath. 
What are some of the things that you were thinking of as you worked on this? Uh, well, I, I mean, so much of it is like writing it sentence by sentence, right? Like line by line. Mm-hmm. And then like, mm-hmm. where does it feel like, oh, I've come to a thought and now mm-hmm. this thought is jammed or this thought is, is short. Um, but playing mm-hmm. with it and letting those, you know, um, have those moments like, uh, I was a daughter once a wife was like to be, mm-hmm. I could add two feet, you know, like I am nothing is kind of two feet. Um, Mm. Mm -hmm. But like, so it could have short sentences. It could be like at the top, I false, a wanton, talk die with a man. Um, Mm -hmm. But instead I was like, you know what? I think that that just needs to live in, Mm. in, in how she is. These are two short lines listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two short lines. Uh, well, I was what a you're once. doing there is you are forcing my pace as well. So you're right. literally giving white space around that. I'm not allowed to just string them together according to your formatting. So yeah, keep going. So you're controlling my pace. You're controlling what thoughts go together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also like letting the line take me to a place and then being mm-hmm. like, okay, well... <laughs> I have an enjambment here. I could fix it or, or like, you know, particularly mm-hmm. the line just above before the short lines um, mm-hmm. where uh, doth betray the sense of life whilst I like. Which ends with a dash. Mm-hmm. Could have figured out what, you know, how to make that a nice, perfect line. But I was like, you know what? Let's, let's not, let's, let's change I... it. And let's, let's let her stop and and not be able to figure out where to go. You did that twice, um, perhaps more, but those especially uh, in the first half of the speech that doth betray the sense of life whilst I, and it's an unfinished sentence. There's no verb, but that's a line break. And so on a dash, and then what do I do with this is the next line, I am nothing, which are uh, is strong and strong to put together. Um, and then you did it later on, um, I'll mock the world and the previous line, but it's a and jammed into for all its somberest pursuits and mourn, and then a dash, and then coming back in with nay, I'll not think that away. And I love this. This is, I think, one of my favorite acting things that you can give is, in fact, uh, because what's coming before before both of those is actually a torrent of un uh, of unjammed lines that then leave nowhere. And then when you come back in, you've completely changed thought. Um, but curiously, you've, you've kept the tension in the, the ouvriel by, by not being neat. Um, so to lead up to I is, I feel it shrivel from my unchanged form, leaving a hollow, empty, walking shell that doth betray the sense of life whilst I, and if I wanted to do it all as one sentence, I would run out of breath, which is awesome. Um, if I wanted to take a breath at the end of each, it would probably sound like gasping, which also is great, which would be, I feel it shrivel from my unchanged form, leaving a hollow, empty, walking shell that doth betray the sense of life whilst I, what do I do with this? And like, it's, it's so good, whichever way you want to play the enjambment, tumbling through, um, 
or or not in this the same one the previous one I'm trying to find oh I'll mock the world for all its somber pursuits and mourn but I don't know there's still a there's a right well that one a has pace. a couple of sentences leading up it to does. it um it does. yeah that particularly like the um his well, rave speech. nonsense I got to say yeah. rave nonsense is like a fantastic line beginning it feels so good to say and since you're saying it so it's interesting. We were talking about sine waves. Um, I was noticing that these felt arrow across, you know, not dolphins or hills or valleys or diving. It was just slam, 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 which I loved. So, yeah, there is a different sine wave. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, that... that uh... That's great to hear because that's what I suspected that you were going to find when you came to this. Cool. Good, good. Uh, but you were saying um, the, the lines before oh, um, Somber's Pursuit of Moon. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you started, like, at the same time that I was looking at the end of that line, you were looking at the beginning. So, rave nonsense. Um, mm. That will make his former speech sound sensible and sane. Oh, that was such a nice enjambment. Yes. Um, well, because I think what we forget about is that you can use an enjambment to set, uh, like, like as a setup, I'm thinking of, uh, tennis, right. Or volleyball where you throw the ball or badminton, well, maybe not badminton, but you know, <laughs> volleyball where you throw the ball into the air and then you smack it. And the throwing of the ball up in the air is, is the end of a line. Uh, it's one way to use enjambment. So then you're smacking it down to the, the next line, um, it definitely had that as well. And that's where it felt like, yeah, bah, 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 bah. well, it didn't feel up and down, but, but you were using it in that fashion that with a sine wave still going forward, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it was so nice using you, your enjambments uh, would cut, would, would stop me, would make me reverse or completely not just, Oh, now I'm going to go um, perpendicular or make a left turn, but like I need to change my dimension uh, which is so nice. And this does exciting things. This plays the schwumpf against the ouvriel, mm-hmm. basically the thought against the, the energy. Um, Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I wrote this mm. in between like posting those questions on Twitter no. <laughs> and, um, and then you answered your own question you, and you played with line editing. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. So yeah. what were some of the, are there any other ones that you wanted to point out that you were specifically aware of as you were writing? Um, no. I mean, I think that one of the mm. things that uh, you pointed out in a mentor's lines were mm. sort of so, the the short thoughts all strung together um, and how that um, creates its own kind of tension. Mm. And that, you know, that's where I start at the top of the speech. Absolutely. And kind of return to towards the end of that first section. Well, and again, you're, you're playing with my breath to say that I am dead is how I feel. Those are two separate thoughts on the same line. They're fully stopped with periods. And then the next one is I comma false question mark, a wanton and wanton is capitalized question mark, talked I with a man question mark. And that's all one line. 
And all these things, yeah, generate, I mean, what I love about well-written scripts is that they, if they are well-written, they generate emotion for the actor, you know, so the actor isn't trying to like make a feeling happen, uh, which is, is, is at least what we were told in the 20th and 21st century is a no, no. (laughs) Um, but, but yes, I faults a wanton talked I with a man to be all one shroomph while they're three separate shroomphs. And actually I would even say I and faults feel like separate shroomphs. So like you've got all these fragmented thoughts that are all connected just on the second line of, of this. And so the, but then we get down to the short lines of, I was a daughter once. Okay. What do I do with that? (laughs) You know? And, um, but it's it's whole, it's complete, it's fully stopped, it's it's short. Um it it came from nothing before, insofar as like it's not in jammed, it's not finishing a sentence, it's not the beginning of the sentence of the next line, it is full, complete in itself. And um again, gives me breath, like makes me slow down. And just just in terms of how this is spun out, I really appreciate since I would call this a soliloquy, um, since Beatrice is kind of going up saying, are you moving your mouth? <laughs> you know, but didn't necessarily hear it and hear definitely the way that I experienced it. She, she not talking to anyone. No, like, like even if 15 people were staring at her, she's, it's her and maybe the audience. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, uh, what I what I really like too is that this absolutely has an arc in itself. So you're not just staying on one thought. You're developing the thought of again the reaction of wait what did they just say to me? Wait home what? And then trying to and then well let me check in with myself how do I feel? What's my situation? And then okay oh shit it's because I was dogberry there that and you know and like. So you are hitting plot points in this. You are transitioning out of the scene through her different thoughts, then very nicely um, sort of weaving Beatrice into it. Um, and then it's really, it's it's fun because I've got, when Beatrice spoke to me, like I was aware of her, but I was still in soliloquy. But like I was opening up space in my soul for Beatrice to be part of this very private moment. Mm. Um, so it was a very, very soft crossfade uh, to, to be as Beatrice being there. And honestly, the feeling that Beatrice could overhear any soliloquy I said and manage to somehow be a character, not chorus, but also somehow not count as a person overhearing me. Uh, right. Which is you know? a lovely thing. And I don't think... We've explored that at all because for introverts, yeah, like, oh, I need to be around no one. Well, I'm here. Yeah, you're you're no one. <laughs> In that that I love you so much. <laughs> I've grown accustomed to your face. <laughs> you're saying, yeah, that uh, you know, at the end of the first soliloquy, she talks about being her confidant and her secret keeper. Yes. Um, yes. And so, like, there's very much so a sense of. Um, strong like sisterly connection Mm. um Mm. for these two and they kind of rib each other back and forth and you know that Mm -hmm. um 
you know, Beatrice does not always approve of all of Hero's gallivanting, though she sure. herself is like known for her talking back and you know like so it's Uh, it all falls into place (laughs) it's a fun dynamic and so having that moment of she's the only one who listens she's the only one who sees Mm. um and hero's having this private moment but that's okay Mm. i also love um because hero's i'm fine finishes the line it's definitely a shared line of Cause cousin hero speak to me, which by the way, you delivered that so beautifully. I'm like, Ooh, yes. Nice. The doubling down on why I'm saying the full cousin and then it needs to be hero. And I, it was interesting. Cause when I was looking at it, just looking at it, I'm like, oh, did you need all those lines, you know, all those words couldn't you said it once, but then in it, I needed her to like be calling me more and more specifically so that I could come out of soliloquy. Mm. Like I would not have come out of soliloquy unless I, was really pulled by all three ways of speaking to me, which was fascinating. But then I felt so modern, so colloquial with I'm fine, which I loved because it also felt um, there's a level of honesty that I can be with Beatrice slash Verges that I can't even be with me. Um, I don't know if you've done that, you know, but Hero even... In, in her soliloquy to herself is still very poetic in her language. And then to have that complete, just everything stripped away, I'm fine. And I, I don't know how it continues elsewhere. And it may be something you want to play with. It may not be, but that's, it, 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 that's what it felt in that moment. Yeah. I mean, that's the last that they get to talk to each other um, <gasps> in no. this scene, in this scene, they'll come back, but like, in okay, this scene, okay. like all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like, you made this a tragedy Sorry. real quick. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, in this, the rest of the scene, like Shakespeare's world comes crashing back in right. around them after I'm fine. Right, um, right, right, right. So. Wow. Okay. Um. Oh my gosh. That is, that is such a delight. That was so lovely to say and to feel. And um, frankly, almost no acting required. Uh, it really was as as Judy Dench's line was. You can you can trust the line with these lines. Mm. Really, really good, really good, Monica. Really, really, really. Thank good. you, because this Thank is like too. first draft, minimal editing to correct things. Uh, so I was very oh. nervous about sharing it with the world. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Monica, for sharing it with the world. I am so glad, grateful. Are you kidding me? Oh, this is good. This is good. And I, I, extra bravas to you then for forgiving it, and particularly for a work in progress. Uh, no, no, it's good. It's powerful. It's potent stuff. It is good stuff. Um, I I guess things that I want to take forward moving on from this is not only the line endings, but also then looking at the stringing together or not of lines, Mm. Um, uh, as well as series of enjambments to full stops. Um, Those are some things that that are intriguing me as we keep going through this miniseries. What are some things that are percolating in your brain? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm probably just saying the same thing in a different way, but Mm. like the... um, the cadence and breaking of rhythm so that Mm. you've got 
these very short staccato moments and then these Mm -hmm. long moments that then, you know, suck back into something tiny. Um, And having that, um, that changing of the rhythm Mm. give us something to take through with that character. Yes. I'm thinking as well of, of the beginning as we're sort of tentatively looking at the sine waves and the changing of that. Um, and I, I wonder if that's something you feel more when you perform it verbally, you know? Um, so I'm still, I'm still curious about that um, as another thing that we can play with in our, in our tool boudoir. Well, I uh, definitely, as I write, you know, like I, mm. when I'm doing iambic pentameter, like I, I tap it out on my fingers and yeah, then yeah, get a yeah. couple of get a couple of lines and then read the whole thing out loud to see how it flows um, before moving on to the next bit. <laughs> so great! That's so great, um, Monica. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast at long last. Uh, too long, too long, <laughs> but we've got you on. I think at the perfect moment. Um, and particularly as your, uh, thank you for sharing this work with, with us and making me have to say that Beaumont and Fletcher did write a really good speech. (laughs) Um, as, as did you, I'm very excited to reading this whole piece. And, uh, can you remind the good people where they can find you? Um, should you wish to be found? (laughs) Definitely the best place to find me is the new play exchange. Um, Mm. I am on Twitter uh, at the roaring girl and uh, I have a website, which mostly just takes you to my NPX, but like my website (laughs) is www.monicacross.com. You got a .com. Nicely done. Well done. So absolutely. And we will uh, work to make sure that those links are in the show notes. So you could just like scroll down on whatever podcast you're listening to right now and see the description and see it as we are very, very, very slowly updating our website, hamlettohamilton.com. You can also find us over on Patreon, uh, where Monica is is very active. So you get to hear all of her (laughs) thoughts, which are very helpful and very incisive, as you can tell. Um, you can join us over at patreon.com backslash Hamlet to Hamilton. And that just leaves me to say thank you, Monica, so much for your time and for sharing your work and your insights. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Talk to you next time. Hamlet to Hamilton Exploring Verse Drama is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. Special thanks to Stars and Scansion patrons, Ben Claude, Madeline Farley, and Jasmine Nyack. If you'd like to become our patron and get different goodies, you can join us over on patreon.com slash Hamlet to Hamilton. Hamlet to Hamilton is hosted by Emily C.A. Snyder with audio engineering and sound design by Colin Kavarik. This podcast is part of the Turn to Flesh Productions audio network. You can learn more by going to hamlettohamilton.com or turntoflesh.org. If you liked this episode, please like, share, comment, subscribe. You know what to do. You can follow us on Twitter at hamlet2hamilton with the numeral 2 in between. Or use the hashtag hamlettohamilton or h2h with the numeral 2. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks' time 
as we continue exploring verse drama.